Well, good morning, everyone. Great to, great to see you, great to be in front of you. It's great to not have to play an instrument for the next 30 minutes or so. I really appreciate that. Um, thank you to Rick, the elders, to Jason for giving me a chance to share today this morning with you. Thankful, thanks to you guys, Lakes Free Church. Uh, you guys have been a, a great help to my family over the course of a, a really crazy year, a really hard year. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, let me just give you a quick little recap. Uh, last April, my wife gave birth to stillborn twins. A few weeks after that, I moved my family from Cleveland to the Lindstrom area, cross country, new job, new house, new friends, new everything. And just as we were starting to get settled in, uh, last October, we found a tumor, inoperable tumor inside my wife's spinal cord. A hard year, hard year to say the least. But I've got some good news for you today. In March, we went back to the Cleveland Clinic. They took another MRI. We held it up to the one we took in October. And the doctor said, there's been no significant growth. Come back in a year. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. Really good news. Keep on praying that that tumor uh, does not grow at all. And we are praying for a miracle that it even shrinks and disappears. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. A couple weeks ago, we went uh, back to the doctor's office, and I heard one of the most beautiful sounds I think I've ever heard before, the heartbeat of a little baby. <laughs> yeah, just, just one, though, just one. Uh, so we are so excited. So January 4th, uh, God willing, we'll be giving birth. Uh, so for Christmas, I don't need any socks or candy or cookies, just diapers. And please don't take that out of context. Um, so on that note, on that good news, let's get started this morning. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we talk about marriage this morning, God, would you open up our hearts so that we can experience and understand your deep, great love for us. God, would you open up our eyes so we can see this truth in your scripture that we read today. And God, would you give us the strength to not just hear it, but to apply it to our lives. God, use my words for your glory. Amen. So Jason did a great job last week of uh, talking about the series, When God Goes to Starbucks. Well, we all know God prefers Northwoods anyways. Uh, but when God goes to a coffee shop, and uh, questions about faith, things you might overhear, things you might talk to about with friends, with family, uh, that you might hear a table next to you talking about. Uh, and today the question that I will try to address is this. This comes from a young man in our congregation, and he said this. If the divorce rate is over 50%, should I even bother getting married? Now, this is a young man who grew up in this church, who listened to these sermons week in, week out, who went to our youth group, went to our summer activities, and instead of looking at marriage with great joy, with excitement, with awe, he looks at marriage with anxiety and fear. If half of marriages are doomed from the start, why bother? That's a really good question. And before we throw it on the pile of, well, we're Christians, doesn't apply to us, let's think about it. Let's wrestle with it. Let's try to answer it. Because you know what? He's got a point. Yeah. Men and women spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to get up in front of their family and friends and God and kind of lie to each other 
Well, they might not know they're doing it. They might not want to, but they do. The marriage vow, you know it. I name, take you name, to be my lawfully wedded wife slash husband. To have, to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, to love and to cherish, from this day forward, until death do us part. Let's break it down. The first part. I take you to be my lawfully wedded husband or wife. All right, where's, where's the rub there, you might be saying. Well, when you get divorced, slide number one. To have and to hold. What does that even mean, to have and to hold? Well, after looking at it a little bit this week, I found out that it means exactly that. To give yourself, every single part of yourself, to someone else, and vice versa. But even right there, we keep th- things from our spouse all the time. You ever heard this one? Girl's got to have her secrets, right? And don't even get me started on the physical aspect of this vow. Group the next couple together. For better, for worse, well, we really should just say for better. Because <laughs> if it gets worse, well, I'm out of here. For richer, and uh, you better not get any poorer, because these bills aren't going away. In sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. Uh, well, I'll love you for a little while at least until the the glitz and the glam of marriage is gone, and then you're going to see what I really love and cherish because you'll watch where I spend all my time. You'll watch where I spend all of my money and my resources. That's what I really love. That's what I really cherish. Until death do us part. Come on. So antiquated. My grandma said that. Come on, I I don't even have my shirt tucked in today. It's new times we're living in. And by the way, if I'm saying anything uh, controversial, uh, please feel free to email me, J-I-M-F-A-N-N <laughs> at lakesfree.org. Yeah, just send any, anything you want to. I love emails. So there is no way that we can possibly keep all of those promises, is there? And when you kind of think about it like that, it's no wonder that the divorce rate isn't even higher. So if that's what marriage is, broken promises life of misery. I don't know what I would ask, tell that guy. Uh, not something that I would want to be a part of. Some of you might be nodding your head. You're like, I know, I know what you're talking about. Maybe you're in a relationship that's kind of like that this morning. Well, I'm glad you're here. So I want to look at marriage today. Three things. The how, the what, and the why. What is marriage? How do we do marriage? And why? Try to answer this question. Why should you get married? So number one, what? And this is the most important question, I think, because how you define marriage sets the foundation, the bedrock for the marriage that you are currently in or will be in in the future. So if I asked you to describe marriage in one word, what would you say? It's not rhetorical. I'm actually asking you this right now. What's one word that would describe marriage? Write it down. Tell your neighbor. Tell your wife. Well, the esteemed magazine Redbook asked its readership this very same question. And here are the results, and I pray to God that they are in no specific order. Number one, Disney-esque. Wow. There's a couple things I know about this person right away. One, they've been married for about a week. (laughs) And two, they are honeymooning in Disneyland, Disney World, or possibly Disney Europe. Uh, moving on. Challenging. Finally, someone who has been married for a little bit of time. Uh, comfortable, complex, geeky, compromise, delicious. 
probably married to a chef. All purpose, evolving, fun, inspirational, transformative, my personal favorite, jackpot. Partnership, solid, unconditional, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Another uh, Disney fan. Wow. So I can get behind some of those answers, some more than others. And the Red Book is a great magazine if you're looking for 14 pairs of shorts that you will look great in this summer, Siri. Or you want to know about 12 dresses that fit all body shapes and sizes. Go for it. But for marriage advice, it's not really my go-to resource. So let's open up the Bible this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. You've heard it before. Paul's chapter on relationships. It's the the part where uh, that famous verse that uh, so forcibly gets taken out of context and used for such great cruelty. Husbands or wives submit to your husbands. Hopefully we can go a little bit deeper than that this morning. All right, Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33. Stay with me now. This gets a little long. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's a lot in there, isn't there? One of the things that Paul is saying that I want to look at closer this morning is that your marriage should resemble how Christ loves the church. Let's look at that passage again uh, in a different version. And this is one of the, my favorite Bible study methods to take a passage in a translation and look at the same passage in another translation or a paraphrase. It really helps me to understand the text. This is from the message. Um, if you don't own one, I hope this will convince you to go out and buy one says this, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife in the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wife, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the whole the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor, since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, right? 
No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are a part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery. And I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clear to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her. And how each wife is to honor her husband. Let's look at a few of the verbs from that passage. Be courteously reverent. Understand, support, provide, cherish, submit, exercise leadership, love. You see where this is going? There is no selfishness in there. It doesn't say, husbands, love your wives until something better comes along or until you aren't happy anymore. It doesn't say, wives, respect your husbands only when it's going well. No, that's not what Christ says marriage is like at all. But often, that's how we treat it. Let me explain this point a bit more. In his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim Keller, by the way, a lot of this sermon is based out of this book, and if you don't own it, you really should. In his book, The Meaning of Marriage, Tim Keller says this, both men and women today see marriage not as a way of creating character and community, but as a way to reach personal life goals. Wow. Let me read that again. Both men and women today see marriage not as a way of creating character and community, but as a way to reach personal life goals. He goes on, they're looking for a marriage partner that will fulfill their emotional, sexual, and spiritual desires. And that creates an extreme idealism, basically unrealistic expectations. And that leads to deep pessimism that you will ever find the right person to marry. This is the reason so many put off marriage. I remember thinking this as a young man. I can't wait to get married. I'll finally be happy. It's going to fix all my problems. I won't have to deal with my lustful heart anymore. I won't be lonely anymore. But I had no idea what marriage was about. And contrary to what I thought, contrary to what a lot of people think, marriage is not about me. It's not about you. It's about loving the other like Christ loved the church, cherishing her, laying down your life for her. It's about submitting to one another, husbands. It's about leading your wives and your families, not by domineering, not by force, but out of love and cherishing. You see, we can't even talk about submission if we don't have leadership. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Wives, it's about supporting and respecting your husbands, even when your Facebook news feed is full, full of stories and pictures of other people's husbands, and it looks so good. So what is marriage? Marriage is a picture of the gospel. And the gospel is this. Again, from his book, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let me put it another way. The gospel is this, that you are so lost, so flawed, so sinful, that Jesus had to die for you. But you are so loved and so valued that Jesus was glad to die for you. Isn't that great news? Marriage is a picture of the gospel, a way we can experience this love every day in a physical, tangible way. And I hate to break it to you, 
But that person sitting next to you, they got issues. They are far from perfect. Sorry to tell that to you. And I don't care how ridiculously good looking you are, how many chick flicks you go to with your wife because you love her so much, this type of love, you cannot earn it on merit alone. It's the gospel. And we get to experience that, that love that Christ shows us. And there's a great song that that sums up this point by one of uh, my favorite artists named David Wilcox. And it says this, I'm strong enough to take it. I know what you've been through. Give me the hard part. I can love that too. There is something so powerful in being loved for who you are, exactly who you are, warts and all. It's the gospel that we are so lost, so flawed, so sinful that Jesus had to die for us. Yet we're so loved, so valued that he was glad to do it. That's what marriage is. You've got a whole heart. Give me the hard part. I can love that too. But you might be saying, Lauren, that sounds really nice. It's really nice how you incorporate a little song that rhymes into that. But on the way to church this morning, we fought like cats and dogs. And on the way home, there's a good chance that we're going to fight like cats and dogs too. How do you do marriage? And uh, how do you love someone with warts and all? And do you know my husband? Those are some pretty big warts. How do you do it? Well, that's the million-dollar question, and you just have to go to your local bookstore to find a ton, a whole aisle devoted to this very question. And I love what Paul says when he talks about a man and a woman becoming one flesh. He says this, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. And I know that doesn't help you at all. (laughs) But I'm not going to stand in front of you today and uh, pretend to have all the answers. I don't know seven steps to to marital bliss. In fact, probably quite the opposite. I'm a great resource for what not to do in marriage. Uh, I have a knack for learning things the hard way. Anyone else relate to that? Yeah. So the Beatles have a great song called The End, and in it is quite possibly their most famous lyric, and it says this, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. And we often think like that. I'll give you exactly what you give me and not a penny more. You want me to love you this much? Well, you're going to have to love me this much first. You think like that a lot. It's human nature. You just have to be around a kid or a a toddler, a young person for a few minutes, and you'll probably hear something like this. It's not fair. Tommy got a brand new iPhone. I just got a flip phone. I can't even surf the web or play games. What good is this phone? You don't even have to be a kid to understand that. We do it a lot as adults. Well, honey, I cooked, uh, so you're going to clean. I walked around the yard and pretend to mow for an hour. What did you do? (laughs) And it's really funny when we apply it to little kids and chores, but it is devastating when we apply it to love and to relationships. Thankfully, that is not how God tells us to love. Verse 28. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wife exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not by getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. That is how husbands ought to love their wives. 
How do you do marriage? Let me challenge you. Husbands, when you go home today, don't just get on the couch and watch some TV, but love your wife like Christ loved the church. Go all out in your love for your wife. See what happens. I guarantee you, you will be happy with the results. Ladies, you're not off the hook. Uh, When you get home, try this from the message again. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Do you want your husband to be a better man? Try loving him, respecting him, supporting him instead of shaming him. Well, you say he doesn't deserve it. Exactly. It's a picture of the gospel. An opportunity for us to live out that kind of love every day. Number three, why? Why get married? Here's my answer. Because it's the hardest, best thing you will ever do. My marriage, there has been some hard, hard, hard times. But in a crazy way, I am so glad for those hard times because they've led me here to this point. I don't know if I'd be standing in front of you without it. It is the best thing I've ever done. I am so grateful for it. When you love someone, their rough parts, all of them, and someone loves you, even your rough parts, and you might have more than them, you get to experience the gospel firsthand. And when you come face to face with that kind of love, you can't help but be transformed. It changes you. It's supposed to. And I wish I had uh, more time to go into all the aspects of how marriage changes you, how it makes you a better person, but I don't, so I just got a few here. And uh, these are from another esteemed magazine. I'm not even going to go to the Bible here. This is from a secular magazine, Men's Health. Um, Sorry, ladies, I don't subscribe to Women's Health, so this is all for the guys. A Virginia Commonwealth University study found that married men earn 22% more than their similarly experienced but single colleagues. Married men receive higher performance ratings and faster promotions than bachelors, 2005 study of U.S. Navy officers. In 2006, British researchers reviewed the sexual habits of men in 38 countries and found that in every country, married men have more sex. Again, J-I-M-F-A-N-N at lakesfree.org. In a Norwegian study, divorced and never married male cancer patients had 11 and 16% higher mortality rates, respectively, than married men. This one's a doozy. A UCLA study found that people in generally excellent health were 88% more likely to die over the eight-year period than if they were single. Wow, 88%. That's reason enough right there. But why should you get married? Because it's the hardest, best thing you will ever do. Now, it's easy to talk about why someone should get married, but it's another thing altogether to show them. So let me talk to the parents out there for a few minutes. How did we get to this point? How is it that a young man who grew up in our church, going to our programs, our Awana, listening to our sermon, looks at marriage with such pessimism that he's tempted to not even try? I mean, when you were 15, 16, 17, Did you look at marriage and because of the sky-high rate of divorce, said, eh, no thanks? Did you think about living with your boyfriend or girlfriend because, uh, well, marriage is just kind of an antiquated formality? We really should try it out to see if we're compatible before we commit. Did you think like that? Because that's the prevalent thought today. You know, we can be quick to point our fingers. It's the media's fault. 
It's Hollywood's fault. But as my mom taught me, when we point our finger at something, we've got three fingers pointing right back at us. Do you love your spouse more than your kids? Got a little quiet in here. Think about it. In all the scripture that we read, and we read a lot of scripture today, it didn't say anything about laying your life down for your children. It didn't say husbands, or uh, excuse me, it didn't say mothers and children will leave the husband and become one flesh. One of the biggest things you can do for your children is to love your husband, is to love your wife. Do your children know what date night means? Do you say no to your children because you need to spend more time with your spouse? Or do you say no to your spouse because you have to show for your children all over the great state of Minnesota and western Wisconsin? You pledged your life to your husband, to your wife, not to your children. Your role as parents is to prepare your children to leave. Are they seeing you love your wife like Christ loved the church? Do they see you support and respect your husband not just on his birthday or your anniversary, but every day? See, there is a very, very small chance that your children will become professional athletes. Now, I hope they do, because I could use a few tickets. But there's a very, very high chance that they will one day get married. And I pray that you are teaching your children more than just volleyball and football skills, but life skills as well. And I hate to get preachy when I preach, so I'm, I'm sorry about this. But this is so important because the decision to not get married because you see the devastation of divorce all around you, in your family, in your friend's family, all around you, that decision is not made on the spot. No, it's a culmination of events, hundreds of events that lead up to that one decision. And us, as the older generation, as the generation that comes before, our actions shape those experiences. Now, this is just not my opinion, thankfully. This is God's opinion as well. Earlier in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. What is marriage? It's a picture of the gospel. Loving someone who doesn't deserve it. Them loving you back, even though you don't deserve it. How do we do it? With God's help. His mercies are new every day. If marriage is a picture of the gospel, gospel requires faith. Why do we do it? Because it is the hardest, best thing that you can ever do. You will become a better person. And in the end, the love you get is not equal to the love you give. It is way more. You get so much more back. Let me read, leave you with this last line. Christ did not love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Love like that. Amen. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you 
for an opportunity to spend a few, few minutes exploring, listening, and hearing your word. God, we are broken people. We have flaws that are so big that sometimes we can't even see them. Yet, God, you love us. You sent your son for us to bring us back to you. God, would you give us the strength to love our wives like you love the church? Would you help us to love our husbands with respect? And God, would you help us to show our children what true love looks like every day? In your name we pray, amen.